This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What it do? Hardwood Knox listeners, I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times, awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario. I took his kids trick or treating with snow on the ground. Co-host Andrew D. Bailey. We have a ton to get to today, but before we get started, my usual please keep rating, reviewing, and above all, subscribing slash downloading our episodes on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else. You're consuming your podcast, Spotify, Google Play, Art19, all those fun places. But iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you are out there, that you are listening, and that Andy is not speaking into the great void. We appreciate every single rating and review that we've gotten. Again, throw us those five stars, five star Friday it, and then write a review with whatever you have to say. I promise you we're reading them. Definitely subscribe if you haven't. If you've done all those things, We appreciate recommendations or at least helping us bump the podcast on Twitter, retweeting whatever Andy I or the Hardwood Knox account throws out there. Speaking of which, you can follow Hardwood Knox at Hardwood Knox. You can follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey. And you can follow me at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow the Blue Wire Podcast Network on Twitter as well at Blue Wire Pods. You can check out my fire tweets over there, see what else we have to offer on the network. There are so many great podcasts there. Equally important, there are some shout out. Benno Udry, Kyle Anderson shirts available on Design Tree. Andy tweeted out the link. I'm sure he'll continue to promote it in the coming days. It is Benno Udry approved. I cannot stress that enough. Benno Udry approves of these buddy cop t-shirts that were Andy's brainchild. Help support the podcast by buying one in each color that's available. That's not too much to ask. It's only like 15 shirts. But seriously, purchase one. You won't regret it. I'm going to have to cop one. I haven't done it just yet. They're awesome. Andy, nice nice job on that. So how are you doing on the heels of designing, helping design, since we have great artists at Blue Wire who did it as well, helping design such an amazing t-shirt? It's a big moment for me. I, I never knew I was a fashion designer um, until the last few days, but it's, you know, it's another rabbit I was able to pull out of the hat. Oh, another rabbit. I'm curious to see what the first one was. <laughs> oh, I've I've pulled many out. There's a lot of things I should not be. Um, I'm over my head is what I'm trying to say on a lot of things. To start us off, though, I'm going to get us into some of the news updates that we have. Let's start with Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns. Each of them were suspended two games for their kerfuffle, I guess you would call it, on Wednesday night. Notably, Ben Simmons was neither fined nor suspended for his role because, as the Sixers stressed, he was the, quote, peacemaker. Now, I'm not saying the pitcher tells the whole story, but he had Carl Anthony Towns in a headlock on the ground. I don't think that's the way you play peacemaker. It was not like Carl Anthony Towns was wiling out more so than Joel Embiid or, or anyone else on the court. And the only thing I can think of, and I'm curious to see what you think about this, is that Carl Anthony Towns, I know the Timberwolves were trying to play it up that Simmons did the dirty, but that Carl Anthony Towns and Simmons are friends and Towns was like, no, he was just like whispering sweet nothings in my ear and trying to calm me down. Um, do you follow 5KL on Twitter? I do not. He, I think that he sounds found like the it. name of a race. <laughs> he founded SLC Dunk. Um, he, he hasn't been there in some time, but he's he's a good follow. Uh, he he posted a picture of Jesus Christ doing the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and the quote and the the caption was quote and I say blessed are the peacemakers for they shall Ben no Ben what are you doing? What? Um, so that that was fun for me. I'm getting a chuckle out of it uh, over here. Um, 
I don't I don't know what Ben Simmons was doing. I'm surprised he didn't at least get fined. So that was a surprise to me. And I'm also kind of surprised at the length of the suspensions uh, for Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns. I thought it might be more than two games. I guess really there was only one punch thrown and it didn't even connect. And then it just kind of turned into a, a rolling around match. Um, so maybe two games makes sense. But I guess the biggest surprise is that Ben Simmons didn't get you know, any anything, not even a slap on the wrist. I think the length of the suspensions is a surprise too because remember CJ McCollum got suspended, I think it was a game in 2017. It was a Blazers opener and for leaving the bench in a preseason game. So just he stepped on the court. He wasn't even really involved in the altercation and they suspended him for a game. So Joel Embiid and Carlton Towns throw hands at each other and they each get two games. That just seems, you know, imbalanced to me. The other thing, I typically like this stuff for league interest. And then when it spills over to social media, I think that's even better. But the unoriginal and sexist insults that they threw at each other, Townsend and Bede, like, come the fuck on, guys. Like, seriously, we're in 2019. Let's be, one, more original, and two, just more self-aware. And so I'm just not a fan of that stuff. And I've heard people call it locker room talk that's like Jay Williams <laughs> yeah which is look I'm sure he's just speaking from experience and that was a great pod he did with Lowe but other people said it was locker room talk you know what let's make that not locker room talk like let's normalize being like somewhat respectful at least I like it just seems like a, a fundamental morality issue now so I'm not a fan of, of using the, the sexist insults and to see that spill over into social media I think that's a bad look for the league um, they, they, somebody cited that. I think it was maybe Woj in his tweet or maybe it was Shams. I don't know. I get him confused at this point. Um, the NBA said their escalation on Twitter. I can't remember exactly how they put it was part of the suspension. So that was another thing when I read that, I thought, well, that's interesting. Cause I thought they would have got two games for the fight alone. And if you're going to cite the escalation on Twitter, um, maybe tack on another one. I don't know, but, but they probably can't be in the business of finding or suspending people for social media posts. I don't know. It's kind of a tricky area that certainly, um, a lot of the things that they said, pretty much everything they said was juvenile, uh, at best, but it wasn't, I mean, it's not like it's surprising to me. Um, Which you is would, sad. yeah, it is sad. And you would like, um, you would certainly like the discourse to be, uh, at a higher level, but it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of what I've come to expect from, um, certain situations like this. I want to hit on two Nets nuggets. Now we'll start with the Kevin Durant going on first take and saying that Draymond yeah. Green, uh, a little bit for sure. Basically the altercation with him played into KD leaving the Warriors in free agency. What do you make of him saying that, if anything? Um, I don't make a ton of it. Uh, I he's he's kind of said what he wants for the last few years now. I think most people probably knew that this was the case. Um, I, I guess it's it's noteworthy that he said it on on a big national platform uh, like ESPN, and it comes on the heels of. Draymond discussing the same situation on Woj's pod, which is actually how they sort of broached the subject on the show, Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman. Um, so I guess it's a little bit newsworthy, but again, this is something that's not terribly surprising to me, just because I think we probably all could have seen this. I mean, I mean, the writing was on the wall with this. I guess Durant just saying it is maybe a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, so I appreciate what should be perceived to be candor, but I find it tough to believe that that one situation in, what was it, October or November, I don't even remember at this point, uh, factored in that heavily because it seems like there was only tension because of Kevin Durant's free agency in the first place and that my guess is no matter what happened last season, he just would have left. That And that's, look, I, again, I appreciate the candor and I don't, a, a lot of high-profile athletes might have demurred and, and he kind of did defer at first and then Stephen A. pressed him about it a little bit. But, uh, again, I don't know how that one moment uh, would have factored into it more than, say, losing in the finals. It just seems like this was predetermined to me. Yeah, he was probably going to leave anyway. And maybe (laughs) – I don't know if he he 
had this thought process, but maybe this is another way for him to um, say it was okay for me to leave. Somebody else was mean to me, so I, I, I needed to go. The other Nets thing is so Jackie McMullen published what I thought was a really good piece on how the Nets built this culture, but now they did it by basically grooming, I don't want to say damaged or distressed assets, but that was part of it, or players who just weren't assets all when they came. Uh, but a distressed asset like D'Angelo Russell. Now you have these established superstars. Both of them have won championships. Uh, and how is that culture going to last? And within it, there was the report about uh, Kyrie Irving's mood swings um, and an incident in China. I'm just curious. I'm wondering if I'm being too, like, too 2019 by saying this. I don't uh, appreciate, like... The, the coverage in this way and it's not an insult to Jackie McMullen but it seems like yes there's a genuine chance that Kyrie Irving could be an asshole but when he's withdrawn this much from his teammates at different stops and there have been issues I take uh I, I take exception to the fact that it's so cavalierly given up from the teams that he's having these mood swings when that could just be a sign of like one what normal people go through or someone in the public eye goes through the motions as DeAndre Jordan kind of said in the aftermath but two like, you know, does he have anxiety? Is there just like depression involved? And I don't, I also don't want to be a doctor that we have, you know, those, those Twitter doctors that go on and say, this is a hundred percent what it is. I just feel like the ease with which reporters are able to come up with this information. So I'm not even insulting Jack McMullen, who's one of the best writers of all time, one of my favorite writers of all time. The ease with which reporters can come up with these stories, uh, it, it bothers me a little bit, at least how they're portrayed when that information is being relayed. Yeah, I could see that. Um, it, it is interesting that there was a lot of celebration over Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan speaking out about stuff like this. And it's it would not be hard to infer from the stuff that we've heard. I mean, I almost feel bad saying this, but it would not be hard to infer that there's something going on with Kyrie Irving over the last few years. But maybe that's just as... <laughs> Maybe that's just as bad for me to do to infer that he has a problem. Right. Um, so it's it, it's a delicate balance for sure. Um, I, I guess with with no indication from him directly that he struggles with stuff like that. Um, I tend to think that he's just sort of a um, he's kind of like a wide receiver in football. That's that's my take on it. Um, cause I just, I don't know, like you said, I'm not a doctor. I can't, I, even a doctor wouldn't be able to diagnose him without sitting down and talking to him about it. Um, what do you mean he's a wide, like a wide receiver in football? Um, you don't know that stereotype? No. It's kind of like the T.O., uh, diva. Um, oh, okay. they're, I mean, they're, they're like, at least from my perception, I mean, I'm no NFL expert, but they're generally the guy on the team that's, that's, um, I don't even know what the word is. Um, diva is kind of what I'm I'm getting at. So I don't know. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't read as much into that story as the rest of the world did either, because it was another thing that I just said, oh, well, this is kind of what happened in Cleveland and Boston. I don't I don't know how we're supposed to take this as some big breaking news. Um, and this is something that we were all worried about when they signed Kyrie Irving, too. Um, and maybe there is a need for digging deeper, uh, on the team side and figuring out, is, is there something behind this? Is there a reason this happens over and over and over with you? Um, but one area where I will agree with you is that it is interesting. Some of the personal dirt that reporters can get on players and, and how it's instantly out there on the internet now. Um, this is not really related, but last year we had four or five practice fights um, hit the internet, and that stuff. Shout happens out Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I'm telling you, that stuff probably happens all the time in the NBA. It happened at very low levels of basketball, like the junior college I played at. Um, teammates fight all the time in the intensity of practices and scrimmages and all that stuff. Now in this in this era where there's so many reporters, everybody wants to make a name for themselves. Um, and, and again, Jackie McMullen is at a point where she, she clearly does not have to make a name for herself. She did that long, long time ago. Um, but it's just, it's sort of an epidemic, I think in sports media that everybody wants to have these, these juicy nuggets, get them up on the internet as fast as you can. I mean, the, the, the playbook now, 
is you get your nugget up on the, in, in the fastest way possible on Twitter, and then you write the article about it. Um, and the article is usually like four or five paragraphs. So uh, it, <laughs> I, I agree with you in the sense that it's, it is a little bit um, scary. I don't, know, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's a little bit concerning that we can get these uh, important, uh, sensitive, personal topics on guys, and they're just broadcast to the entire world. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years. During that time, the secret to a great shave hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls, they didn't need heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me the closest shave ever with an easy glide, and the razors come at a low price. Do us a favor, check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. It comes out to just $2 per blade. Harry's is also just super convenient. Blade refills are shipped right to your house when you sign up for a subscription. And there's no risk for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of Hardwood Knox can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Moving on to the final thing before we get to our mailbag, which we haven't done one in a while. Stephen Curry, I don't know if anyone heard, but he huh. uh, has a broken left hand. Uh, his timetable is not officially clear just yet. This is the dubs were bad before he went out, and very bad. You know they were getting waxed by the Phoenix Suns. Been better than expected, but they were getting waxed by the Phoenix Suns when Curry's injury happened. They've already yep. lost Kevon Looney. Uh, they don't have Willie Cauley Stein or Alec Burks right now. We know Kevin Durant left. Clay Thompson's still recovering from that ACL injury. Draymond Green's been dealing with back stuff, I believe. What? Do you, Joe Joe Lacob says that they won't tank. I. What do you just make of their situation right now? They're they're going to tank. Yeah, That's I'm just gonna. I will say my Warriors over. Warriors make the playoffs. Steph wins MVP predictions are looking pretty bad. Yeah, less than five weeks into the season. Maybe if it's just a hairline fracture and he comes back in two weeks and averages 40 points for the rest of the season, you're still in good shape. But <laughs> even like you said, they've been bad even with Curry. Um, it was clear after a game or two to me that they just don't have a lot of NBA players. If you if you start counting off the roster after like their fifth or sixth guy, there really isn't anybody on there who I would be like truly shocked to see out of the league in the next two or three years. Um, there, there aren't a lot of guaranteed that guy's going to be in the league for a while players on this team. And that, and that's, you know, partly the nature of drafting in the end of the first round and, and throughout the second round for the last few years. I don't think it's a total excuse because managing Obli was drafted late. Tony Parker was drafted late. Um, you, you can have really good organizations. Yeah, you can uh, you can find examples of guys who who worked out late in the draft. Um, I also I think this raises questions about Golden State's player development. Um, there was that nugget on the uh, I've, I've used the word nugget a bunch of times on here on the Woj pod with Rosillo. Maybe I can't remember who it was, but they said that they haven't practiced for years just because. And it makes sense. I mean, you've got super duper stars like Curry and. Durant and um, they know what they're doing. So it, it makes sense to give your your players a little bit of a reprieve from stuff like that. Um, but they're, they're certainly in a bad way right now. And I was a little disappointed in myself. I, I wrote an article on this in the wake of the injury about how this could be like the, the Warriors 1996-97 Spurs moment. Turns out it wasn't that original because everybody was saying that after the article dropped. Or I could just pat myself on the back and say I put it in everybody's minds, but I don't think that's it. Um, yeah, I'm going to say the latter. 
<laughs> it was it was a pretty obvious take. Um, but it really is. I mean, that there's the chance for that. That the the obvious difference here is Tim Duncan is not in this draft, and I don't think anybody close to Tim Duncan is in this draft. I uh, I like you. I'm I'm not a huge draft expert, and I don't really dive in until a month or two before the draft. So I don't know this for sure, but from from the little information that I do have, I, it just it's not a, a draft class that blows your socks off. Um, you know, there's a lot of hype about Lamelo Ball, but I'm I, he's not a sure thing. Um, Could you imagine Cole drafting Lamelo while having D'Lo, Clay, and Steph? On the yeah, <laughs> that's the other thing is um, does this does this maybe make a D'Angelo Russell trade more likely? Because some of the talent, or pretty much all the talent at the top of the draft, is like guard slash wings. Um, Cole Anthony, I think, I think Anthony Edwards, uh, Lamella Ball. So there's, <laughs> I, I think, I think the possibility of trading Russell just became a little bit more likely. Uh, was it you who wrote about trading Draymond Green? No, that was uh, Nikias. Okay, so that's on the table. Um, I, well, I don't know if that's on the He's table. He's not but eligible a- to be traded until February second or third. So okay. it would be, I mean, the trade could technically be agreed upon before that. I just don't, I'll let you finish. I just don't necessarily agree with the Warriors need to go earlier at this point. Yeah, I actually don't think they should trade Draymond. Um, but I, I don't think it's unreasonable that it's now out there um, as a possibility. I think D'Angelo Russell trades should be on the table. And if, if, if you could enter this draft, and again, I'm I'm not sure on the strength of it, but if you could enter it with like, a couple lottery picks. I mean, that would be fantastic, obviously, or a couple picks in the top 20. Um, you know, it's better than nothing. It's certainly a lot better than they've had in recent years. Um, anyway, back to the beginning of the question. They may not want to tank, but at this point, they are tanking. Because this roster, especially without Stephen Curry, is not going to win a bunch of games. Right. And so here's the thing. The people that think they should tank and then Joe Lacob saying that they won't tank, they're they're both guilty of the same thing assuming the Warriors have a say in the matter, and they don't because they're bad now. And they were getting outscored, early sample, but they were getting outscored by 10.6 points per 100 possessions per clean glass with Stephen Curry on the floor. And they were even worse when he was off the floor. They're not, the returns aren't rosy when Green and Russell play without Steph. They're getting massacred when Russell goes alone on the floor. And even if Steph comes back, you've afforded yourself the luxury of patience. You could, you know, sit him out two to three months. You could shut him down for the year, put him on a minutes cap for the rest of the season, or you can let him play like regular and and hope that nothing happens. You're still, this is me, someone who thought the Warriors were underrated going into the season. They're still not going to make the playoffs most likely. And so I'm against trading Draymond Green because I don't know what his value is going to look like now. Uh, when he doesn't have Steph or Clay in the lineup, and he's going to be at his best around them. I, the, fact, yeah. the fact people might believe he's a system player is definitely overblown, but I don't know that he's someone that's really going to elevate a bare-bones team. And so if you were going to trade him, and I know the timing of the extension is weird in the sense that it was signed late enough where you're like, well, they're not going to trade him if they only have five, four or five days to. But knowing that he signed the extension when he did, it's like, oh, okay, well, they could still trade him this season. I just don't think it's something you look at now. And I actually, I wrote about this, which is interesting that you brought it up. I was I was thinking that maybe I was the only one who thought about this in that context. I think it, uh, Steph's injury should make trading D'Angelo Russell less likely. And I have a column mm. that was just posted on this because you mentioned that you want to get more lottery picks. In theory, if you trade D'Angelo Russell somewhere that's even willing to give up that type of value when he's been playing so poorly – you're helping that team increase the value of their draft pick then. That's and, true. And yeah, so probably that's why I hedged and said a top 20 pick. And so what you're kind of, by keeping Russell, I think now, since you're not going anywhere anyway, he's not going to prevent you from tanking. And the hope is then that he plays better, which he should, because uh, as we record this podcast, D'Angelo Russell has been not good. He is, he, his his shooting slashes are just they're they're atrocious. He's he's slashing when Stephen Curry is off the floor, 17.6, 14.3, 64.3. That oh. is bad. He has the worst <laughs> he has the worst plus minus in the NBA right now. And I'm using plus minus just because it's a small sample. The caveat yeah. here is the Warriors system is still foreign to him, and they still haven't found the balance of integrating Russell and even maximizing their talent, it seems. Russell's pick and roll volume is down by more than 16% 
from last year. And of course, his on-ball uh, usage and then just on-ball possession time when he has has the rock is lower as well. And so the theory is he's going to get better this year, and then you can move him over the summer when you can also then attach him to your draft pick, which you could technically do now because the other ones they owe are so far out. Yeah, and maybe you get a really good player. That's That's a good point. So you wait until the summer for me, and it seems like what Steph's injury does is, you know what, maybe ulterior motives kind of dictated the terms in which D'Angelo Russell arrived and then the plan for him with the Warriors. I feel like patience needs to govern it now. And then worst case scenario is actually your best case scenario. He shows out so well that you're still in the playoff picture, in which case, why would you want to trade him this season? If he proves he's that type of player, you're going to want to see what he looks like when the core is at full strength. Yeah, I think those are all good points. Um, the one that is especially intriguing to me is is maybe you pair him with the lottery pick that they're about to get. Right, and get you're somebody. not going to get – that's not going to get you Giannis. It's not even – Yeah, even but at least you can get somebody that you know is good. Like it would be – you could get more of a sure thing than LaMelo Ball or Cole Anthony. Right, 100%. Um, another thing you brought up that uh, I find interesting is – the the lack of adaptation to the players, like you said that, that they haven't had time to adapt to Kerr's system. Um, he he should have known going into the season that he doesn't have Clay Thompson, that he doesn't have Andre Iguodala, that he doesn't have. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. They've lost so many good players from the start of the run. Like Andrew Bogut was really important to those first couple of teams. Um Harrison Barnes was really good in that role. Like he's, I think he's been exposed as a number one or number two option, but he was like number four on the Warriors and a good switchy defender. Um, the roster is just drastically worse than it was then. And, and, and maybe in some ways that gives Kerr a little bit of a pass, but also be willing to, to change your offense at least a little bit. Like if you knew that it was, it was going to be a Curry, D'Angelo Russell attack this season. Why not just run pick and roll all the time? Um, those those two guys are good pick and roll players. Um, put put your best players in in the positions where they're going to be most effective instead of trying to force an offense that works with different personnel. Um, I I don't know if that would have made them much better than they were because the the biggest problem obviously is just a severe lack of talent. Um, but but I think they're that the coaching staff and the organization is going to have to be at least a little bit adaptable, especially now. Um, their only hope at competitiveness at this point is just put the ball in D'Angelo Russell's hands and hope he can, he can come close to what he did last season. I don't, I don't think this team has anywhere near as much talent as last year's Nets. Um, so he might not be able to replicate what he did, but it, at least give him a shot. Yeah, I'm hundred percent with you. And so, It'll be interesting to see what their offense looks like with Stephen Curry out, but they need to figure out a way to actually cater to the strength of, you want to say their two best scorers that are healthy at least until Clay Thompson comes back in Steph and D'Angelo Russell once both of them are healthy. Yeah, they got to do something to adapt to those guys. We have like, buddy, believe it or not, it's that time of year again. The holiday rush is coming, Hardwood Knox listeners. And if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. And how do you keep track of all those orders? Or decide which shipping carrier to use? Or if you're getting the best range? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. I can attest to the latter because my wife and my father-in-law co-own a couple of UPS stores together. They use ShipStation all the time for their own personal stuff. Her brother sells sneakers online. They use that all the time. They also deal with ShipStation a lot, and they've talked about how good it is. 
ShipStation even offers big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of your holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use Hardware Knox's offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. We have like 20, 25 minutes left on this podcast. Do you have some mailbag questions that you flagged for us? Let's do it. Um, and no, I didn't flag a ton. These are going to be mostly <laughs> mostly off the cuff, which is not unusual for us. Well, that's, that's um, mailbags in general. Yeah. I think we've kind of already hit on this. I, I um, did take a peek at this one like right before we started recording. Mirishlav at MCUKMF. You're going to have to tell me if I pronounced that right. I don't think that's a very hard one, so hopefully I got it. He says his favorite bad NBA player is Greg Ostertag, so he's a man after my heart. Um, would, would D'Angelo Russell for Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr. and Wancho Hernan Gomez make any sense for the Nuggets? And I just kind of thought maybe this would be a jumping off point about discussing trading D'Angelo Russell. Uh, but I think you brought up some good points on that. It, uh, just to answer his question, does that make any sense for Denver, a move like that? God, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I say I, that with all due respect. <laughs> I, uh... Porter Jr. looked good last night, and I think he might just be exactly what Denver needs. I, I wish um, Michael Malone would just relent and play him every game. Um, Gary Harris is – I was really high on Gary Harris a couple of years ago, but it seems like he's plateaued and maybe even fallen off a little bit. Um, and D'Angelo Russell would be somewhat interesting with – Jokic, although they both need the ball in their hands, and, and maybe Jokic could help him be an off-ball player, but we were all excited for that with the Warriors too, and the returns on that haven't been great. So I, I'm, I'm <laughs> just from talking to you for the last 10, 15 minutes, I'm lower on trading D'Angelo Russell generally than I was before, uh, and I think the Nuggets would need somebody better for a package like that. Yeah, the same here. Could you imagine Russell and Murray in the backcourt, what that would do defensively? The Nuggets have about yeah. an average defense so far this season. <laughs> that would be bad. You throw Will Barton in there at small forwards, you're going to have some issues. This one was before Conley's huge breakout game. Um, but Lance Roberson at Lance underscore 972 asks, or his favorite bad player is Disagana Jop, um, Mavericks legend. And his question is, what do you suggest the Jazz do to improve Conley's production? I don't know if they have to do anything different. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to go off for like high 20s every game like he did uh, against the Clippers. That's maybe a little bit of an outlier. I think he's probably like a 15, 16 point per game player this season. But I, I actually don't think there was anything they were doing wrong with him those first few games. His, his shots just weren't falling. I think within the flow of Utah's offense, he's going to get a lot of open looks. He may be a little bit um, unfamiliar with his role just because jazz point guards over the last few years have spent a lot more time off the ball um, than they do in other systems. Uh, Quinn Snyder runs a lot of stuff through his wings. So he's going to have to get used to that. But I, I think he'll be fine. I think he's going to get a ton of open catch-and-shoot looks throughout the year. Um, I think maybe if the four game start that he had, it happened in like, if he has those four games in January or February or something, we probably are concerned, but it's just a blip on the radar. Uh, it's just the fact that he's brand new on the team. It's the first four games of the season. I think there was a much bigger spotlight on it. I, I think he's fine. Yeah. I mean, look, and they're not even asking him to do a ton out of his element right now. Pick and rolls are accounting for almost 60% of his offensive possessions. It just seems like it'll be a matter of chemistry. Um, the, the, those around him playing better on the offensive end too, but mostly just the chemistry thing. I would fully expect him to get better. And maybe you get to a point where you can even have him off the ball more. You know, he's not, he hasn't run. Uh, he hasn't finished a ton of plays on, on cuts right now. And his spot up volume is about where it was last year with the Grizzlies. So I, I just feel like this is something that needs time. We're, we're all guilty of this to some extent. We overrate fits 
um, in like overrate insta fits in the moment yeah. where it's, yeah. you know, we did it with each of LeBron's super teams in Miami and Cleveland. Oh, they're going to not have any problems off the bat. They fit so well together. There's so much talent there. Yep. These things, unless it's Kevin Durant going to the Warriors and even that had its warts at the beginning, these things take time. And so I'm not really, I'm not really worried by it either. The jazz generally, I, I'm pretty encouraged by the first, five games. The fact that they were winning while Conley was shooting like 20% from the field, whatever it was. I know he was nine for 45, which is just shockingly bad, but they were still winning. Um, so if he gets to just like back to his career levels or maybe even a little bit below that, they're going to be pretty tough. Um, Jared Hedrick at JRDMH22. His favorite bad NBA player is Gravis Vasquez. Um, I'm not really sure I completely understand the question, but he says over under on a Siakam all-star all-NBA and defensive all-NBA this year. Um, The trifecta? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He's getting – he's going to the all-star game. There's no question about that. Um, He's going to make an all-NBA team. I'm assuming the over under is how many – How many of those? those? Yeah. So let's say 1.5, and I would take the over. He's not getting all three because I don't think he's going to – I don't think he's going to make all defense. Yeah, I guess third team all NBA is. I'm going to take the under. I'm going to say he just gets the all star, but I would not be shocked if he made third team all NBA. His start to the season is bananas. Um, Isn't he averaging like close to 30 points a game, like 30 and 10? Yeah, he's. I got to look this up. And he's he's been like their actual offensive hub. But Kyle Lowry yeah. is not kidding when he says that they were he was going to be his go-to scorer. That he was going I saw to be a stat about um, – I can't remember. I wish I could remember who posted it. But he's already hit as many above-the-break threes this season as he did last season. Or or like he's ha- he has as many now as he had in February or something like that. Um, he has hit I, – I posted this yesterday. It was not that stat. But he has hit more above-the-break threes than Devin Booker. He's run more pick-and-rolls than Joe Ingles. And he's used more post-ups than Carl Anthony Towns. And he's averaging wow. more assists per 36 minutes than Donovan Mitchell and CJ McCollum. That is crazy. Um, so he's averaging 28 points, 9.2 rebounds, 3.8 assists, shooting 44.4% from three on 5.4 attempts. His basketball reference page is awesome. The progression in points, 4.2, 7.3, 16.9, 28. What's also wild this? too is that he's not so his three point percentage look it's not sustainable but he went from basically living in the corner to now he's shooting a ton of above the break threes and yeah. he's hitting them at like a fifty percent clip. It's crazy. How about we add this to the over under uh, most improved player of the year? Uh, he's going to win back to back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's certainly the only time it's ever happened. I think. I think. I think this is going to be in like the the media consciousness this season. This is a bigger jump than he had from year two to year three. Well, it's a harder jump. I don't know if it's a bigger jump. It's bigger and harder. He's, well, he's... If, if it's bigger and harder, then he might as well just take the award home now. That's an interesting <laughs> oh, thought exercise. We should that should be something we look at half season. Like if this is still being kept up, has anyone ever won Most Improved Player twice or even in consecutive years? I'll look at. I'm going to say. I'm going to say no. Um, without even looking it up, but I, I don't, I don't know that for certain. I'll, I'll look it he's, up as we move. He's to got a strong case right now. Seven. I mean, we're only five games into the season. He could wind up averaging like twenty by the end of the year, and at that point, it's it's probably not in the cards because seventeen to twenty is not a huge leap. Seventeen to twenty eight is wild. Um, yeah, that's true. And and from from uh, no one has ever won. Let alone consecutively, no one's ever won multiple most improved player awards. That doesn't surprise me. But if this becomes like a, a media storyline, I I hope the Raptors like massage this a little bit. Put it, put it out there in the. I think ether. you just you you might have just started the movement, just like Mo and I started the Chris Paul to Milwaukee rumors. We did not. I'm just be, convinced that we did. That'll be fun. Um, I'm going to take the under. I say he just gets all-star. You got the over, all-star, and all-NBA. If, th- if you're throwing most improved player in there at <laughs> 1.5, I'm still going to take the over, definitely. 
Okay, if it's still 1.5 and I'm adding most improved player, I'm leaning all the way into this. That sounds uh, that sounds way weird from your perspective, though, is that you think he has a better chance of consecutive most improved player <laughs> awards than third team All-NBA? Um, yes, let's let's just keep it weird. Who did I pick for my actual most improved player pick? I can't even remember now. Oh, oh it was Bam Adebayo, and that's a good pick. I'm sticking with that. <laughs> You're not shy about complimenting your own picks, though. <laughs> All right, Nick Gagan, fellow uh, Southern Virginia University alum, um, at N-G-A-U-G-H-A-N-1-4. His favorite bad player is Jed Bushler. His question is who's had the most surprising start to the season, and he doesn't put it as far as like disappointment or good surprise, so you can go either way with this. Wait, can you, can you repeat the question? Just most surprising start to the season. That's kind of a hard one to put you on the spot for, but... Yeah, I mean, I could go with the Suns just because their defense yeah. has been actually good. I, you know, I, I don't know how much of the as set part now the athletic calls it how much of the Jedi off uh, defense is at play there. But the, the Suns are currently, and they've played the Warriors, mind you. They're fourth in points allowed per one hundred possessions. Jeez. So who? Would, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just looking at it from a team perspective. If I had to pick a, a player, uh, some people might say Brandon Ingram. It would not be me because. I've been keeping you. You love Ingram, yeah. I, I can vouch for that. Uh, for a player, I don't even really know. Maybe yeah, PJ Washington feels like a cop out, but he's been one that's really taken me aback. But I, there's just a ton of rookies. Maybe I would say, like Tyler Hero being basically Miami's third most important player right yeah. now. Uh, you could throw Kendrick Nunn in there. Very uh, surprising too. Yeah. So there's just it that that's been the most surprising to me is how much deeper this rookie class is than I think was advertised. And you know, none's not technically a part of the rookie class. He had this thing at, at Illinois where he was uh, arrested for domestic abuse incidents, I believe, and pled guilty to a mis- misdemeanor. And then that left Illinois and there was all that stuff. So, but just the, you could look at other players from the actual 2019 class, you know, not even just PJ Washington, but Nico Walker, Alexander, not shooting well right now, but the confidence he plays with, the list just kind of goes I'm just surprised at, at how deep it is or how many rookies you can pinpoint and say hey they're interesting Kobe White looks like he's going to be an offensive stud uh, so there, there's just there's just a ton this year and I know even RJ Barrett's been better than expected yeah to me. I was going to mention him um as I just look at the list of teams there's to me there's I don't know if I can put a uh figure on most surprising the Suns are probably it I think that's a good call um, but there's there's a bunch of surprises to me around the league. Pascal Siakam, I knew was good. I didn't think he'd be this good. Um, R.J. Barrett, you just mentioned. I think he's been better than I expected. Kevin Love, the resurgence of Kevin Love, I think has been a nice surprise. Um, <laughs> Derek Rose has been better than I thought he would be. The Pacers have been worse than I thought they would be. The Warriors are a surprise to me. I didn't I didn't think they'd be very good. I didn't think they would be terrible. Um, and that's that's certainly what they are right now. The Nuggets have been worse than I expected. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of early season surprises. Yeah, N- Nikola Jokic looks out of shape even for Nikola Jokic. What is this season? I so I think that's part of it. But I I honestly don't think he looks that much different physically than he did at the end of last season. He looks like out of his element mentally. Um, but I guess he's got, he goes through funks like this at various times. Um, where he just kind of disappears. He's he's way he defers way too much to his teammates. Like last night, he was five of six from the field. Um, and I just I just did the numbers on this the other day. Their winning percentage over the course of his career is so much higher when he just all he's got to do is take ten shots, and that gives him a chance to win. But he's got a ton of games where he takes like five or six, and the the Nuggets are pretty much doomed at that point. Um, I don't know what it would take to convince him, hey, the guy that you were in the playoffs last season, you can do that. Like, you can be that guy consistently. Um, he he just kind of goes in and out of that mode so often. I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was two seasons ago, he had a month where he averaged like 25, 12, and 9 or something um, for, for an entire month. And I just thought – if you could just bring that level of energy or even like 90% of that throughout the season, he'd, he'd be, and, and I honestly think he's still on his way to like all time great status, but maybe I'm, um, maybe I'm on an Island on that, but he certainly would be if he could consistently bring that 
energy. It, to me, it's like I tweeted after their loss to the then win, winless Pelicans. It's time to trade Nikola Jokic and rebuild around Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> yeah, Porter Jr., he racked up a bunch of points. And uh, I think a lot of them were in garbage time. I actually turned that game off. I was uh, happy when Mike Malone actually played him before garbage time in his regular That season. was nice. It's time for him to just play him. Fucking play, yeah. That's, that's what it's yeah. time for. And I looked this up on the Suns. Opponents are shooting 29% on wide open threes against them. That's not going to hold. I will say they're one of the best teams in the league at not giving up those super wide open threes with a defender being six or more feet away. So there's there's that to consider. If they finish even in the top half of defensive efficiency, maybe let's say top 12 or something, that's a huge win for them. Something that I don't think anyone would have saw coming, even with the no, addition of Rubio. Definitely not. All right, should we do some quick hitters? Yes, we should. Okay. So this is from the other mailbag question I sent out. Um, Couch Mamba, at Couch Mamba. Ingram is putting up great numbers, but his plus his raw plus minus is poor. Thoughts? I mean, the Pel- I think we rushed the coronation of the Pelicans. Is really what yep. their defense is bad, which is not on him. He's actually played. They had him at center for a minute the other night. It wasn't just a minute, but they had it. But they had him at center. And he was matched up with Porzingis, and it actually like it didn't look terrible. He's he's still I maintain that he's just more. I can't put a pinpoint what he's like great at defensively, but it seems like his length and and instincts at times are just very disruptive there in the half court. And I'm just the team around him is young. Drew Holiday's been injured. Zion Williamson isn't there. Derek Favors has been injured. They're not. You know, maybe we. I, I think again, like we rushed the coronation of them. We tend to do this, even like we said with with super teams, and they're going to need time. It's more uh, intriguing to me that this is counter to what I said on the podcast with Adam Frommel earlier this week. That it seems like a lot of his points are coming more within the flow of the offense, and maybe that's because the offense is so structured around him right now. It'll say more if he could do it when Zion Williamson is back and and Holiday puts together a stretch of a, a bunch of games played. But, you know, they, they've had him in, in units where there are a lot of bench players and he's looked good. I'm not really... And then that can account for his wonky plus minus, too, because the quality of talent he's playing with is yeah. presumably going to be lower than it's outside the starting lineup. And I know they used Lonzo Ball against the Nuggets in those uh, heavier bench units. I just think that it doesn't bother me. It matters more to me that he's scoring so much, so efficiently, and in a way where I feel like, you know, when he's catching the ball... It doesn't feel like he's about to go nowhere or get to yeah. a, a weird spot or, or take too much time. I don't have a lot to add to that. All I will say is the the level that Ingram is at right now is better than I ever thought he would be. Um, he he looks You're fantastic. welcome, Hardwood Knox listeners. I'm going to take <laughs> – I get a 1,000 predictions wrong, and then the one that I get right, I'm just going to take yeah. a victory lap for. Yeah, take, many, take as many laps as you want. Um, I'm not stopping you. Ryland Peretta. Pareda, you're going to have to tell me if I butchered that one, Ryland. At R-Y-L-A-N-D-P-E-R-E-D-A. What do you make of Shea Gilgis-Alexander's start, and do you think he will be able to take that next step into an all-star caliber player? I'm actually impressed by the Thunder in terms of how much control they've given Shea Gilgis-Alexander over the offense. I just kind of thought that he was not going to fade into the backdrop with Chris Paul there. But he's, he has their highest usage rate, which I might not have predicted at the start of the season. Chris Paul's usage is always going to be a little bit lower um, because he's not going to finish a ton of possessions as you know the scorer, the turnover guy, or going to the free throw line. But I might have guessed Gallo or even you know Dennis Schroeder. So I've been impressed by that, and I like the aggression. He's still going to need to work on, on kind of having this off-the-dribble jumper. You'd like to see him hit more of his threes overall, but OKC spacing isn't great. He he can get to the rim. He finishes at the rim well. He has, you know, the efficiency isn't always there, but he can kind of bake in these these floaters. He just does all different kinds of things on offense. And he's someone that I maintain is going to make an all-defense team at some point. I would say that his start is not only sustainable, but probably only a taste of what we see from him if we're skipping two, three years down the road. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to say he can't be an all-star caliber player. Um, 
He's averaging over 20 points per game right now. He's He's got like a smoothness to his game that's... Um, like Frank Aquina. I totally get you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I really enjoy watching him. I agree with you. I, I, I'm impressed with the way that OKC has used him to start the season. I, I was looking at their... Um, per game stats the other day, and Chris Paul is averaging like three st- three uh, assists per game, which is obviously crazy, and it's going to come up. But I think there are a lot of indications that OKC knows our future is Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's really good. Let's let's let him do uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander stuff. I just want to know why he's not hitting his free throws all of a sudden. Yeah, that's a good question. I actually didn't even notice that. What's he at? Is that 60, what was it, 68.8 last time I checked, down huh. from 80 last year? It's probably not a lot of attempts, though, either. I'm, I mean, I'm, his free throw rate is actually a lot higher than I expected it to be. It's it's higher than last year. It's at 36.4%, which I think But is, just like four or five games into the season, if he hits 10 in a row at some point, that's, that's also super fair. Yeah. Eric with a K, at air underscore rec two zero. Why do I keep putting faith in the Bulls? I don't know. I was right there with him this season. I didn't keep so was I. Him, but I, I thought they were going to be good. Uh, Steven Doe of The Athletic wrote a great piece that a lot of it has to do with their pick and roll defense is they play that hyper aggressive style where they're sending two guys. And, and Denver, I think, has been the team that's popularized it most over you know last year into now. But the regularity with which Chicago is employing it is almost detrimental because they don't have the guys to make the subsequent rotations and one of those guys is, is Zach Levine. There's also Lowry Marketing is thrown in there too. And so they're either going to have to change that the way they approach defense and maybe specifically on the pick and roll and, and sort of manipulate it by who's on the court, or this is a team that maybe they become sellers or there's like a move that we didn't see coming at mid season. Do they trade Zach Levine? Do they look at trading Lowry Marketing? Maybe it's one of those guys um, in, in, in exchange for someone who could help, their defense but if you're also going to play Kobe White you know that's going to be a problem too yeah so there's that would be my my best guess it's not like the the offense has been setting the the world on fire either still it just it seems like when you look at their roster you would have thought that they would have been better defensively to me uh than than 23rd which is where they stand now I totally agree I I thought they were a strong contender for the playoffs and it's a just like I said um, a minute ago, it's super early. And so it's it's way too early to count just about anyone out. Um, and especially in the Eastern Conference, I think they could go like 40 and 42 and probably be like seventh in the East. So there's still a chance to make the postseason. But but I'm with Eric. They're, they're worse than I thought they would be. Um, I thought the Sadoransky addition, and maybe, again, maybe it'll still prove to be. But it seemed like a perfect fit next to Zach Levine. I was ready to see Wendell. And I think Wendell Carter has been pretty good. Um, I, I was ready to see him be impactful. Uh, I think Laurie Markin will, Markinen will start shooting better. I guess as I'm talking about this, I'm talking myself back into them. <laughs> I, I think ultimately they'll be uh, decent, um, maybe like mediocre to decent. That's a really hot take to make about a team. Um, but I think they probably still finish like – high 30s low 40s and they're going to be in playoff contention but they aren't they aren't quite as good as i thought they would be at least not to start the season last one this is from eric rodriguez at d-o-c-h-d-e-w are the kings done i just said it's it might be too early to count some teams out but i (laughs) i don't know they they might be done they have not started the season well. Look, we're dealing with such small sample sizes that you you don't want to read too much in to these slow starts because I mean you look at just everyone's criticized Luke Walton, which is which is probably mm-hmm. fair. But you look at you know De'Aaron Fox is his true shooting going to be under fifty one all year? Is Buddy Hill going to have true shooting under fifty? Is uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich going to have true shooting under forty the entire year? The guess would be no. A lot of people don't think the answer Marvin, is no on yeah. all three of them. A lot of people don't think Marvin Bagley is going to impact winning, but he's a quality player. And so you hope yeah. that Dwayne Dedman also is not going to have 43 true shooting all year. And so there seems to be like a little bit of variance there where they could recover from. That being said, uh, I'm wondering if we just were higher on them than we 
than we really ever should have been. And this is a team that is 10th per unpredictable in average seconds uh, per possession, which I think is just a more, uh, is a better measure of their pace. They should be like mm-hmm. two, no lower than two. Yeah, and get so, back to what was working for you last season. And as the Dunkdown podcast pointed out, maybe that has to do with who they're running out uh, up front now without Willie Cauley-Stein and, and Bagley's out. So you go to Deadman uh, and who's not, you know, this open floor guy. He's more of just a floor spacer. So perhaps that's part of it, but I don't know. They've, I, I don't, I don't look at what they've done thus far. And aside from just the shooting uh, or efficiency, you could say of their best players, I just don't know what to single out and say, you know what? Hey, that's, that's not going to hold. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with pretty much all of that. The, the thing about the Kings they're in the Western Conference. So the the conversation is a little bit different for them than it is for the Bulls. It's going to be a lot harder to recover from five-game losing streaks in the West. Um, and I think you're right. Maybe we just maybe we just jumped the gun on their um, coronation. That's probably not the right word. Well, maybe it is. I mean, I called De'Aaron Fox a top. I ranked him, I think, 23rd. <laughs> In NBA 100, so if anyone's guilty of of being aggressive with the Kings, I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. Uh, It absolutely 100% is me. And it's it's almost impressive that they have the second worst defense in the league right now, and they have neither given up a ton of wide open threes, nor their opponents hitting them at an (laughs) unsustainably high clip. And so that's that's also troublesome. Yeah. Yeah, um, I guess they outperformed their point differential last season, and a lot of the models coming into this season thought they would take a step back. Like I remember when five thirty eight first released their their projections for records, a lot of people were surprised at how low the Kings were. Um, but maybe they were onto something. Uh, maybe this is just sort of what just, we should have expected. Yeah, I mean, just they're not even like they're not forcing turnovers. They're not rebounding well. Uh, they're turning the ball over like crazy. On offense, it's I, it's it's just discouraging almost across the board, and maybe that's encouraging by default because things can't possibly be this worse because of the level of talent on their roster. If look, if things don't change though, and they fire Dave Yeager after last year, they I was better just be going to say who's on the hottest seat right now. They that, better be prepared to fire Luke Walton if this doesn't yeah. change by January. And Dave Yeager's a good coach. Um, that it sounds like there was a lot of friction between him and the front office, but he's like in terms of just like X's and O's and getting guys to play well, he's he's got a good track record um, as a head coach. So I was I, I just had the same thought you did. I was going to ask you like is is Luke Walton already on the hot seat? And I think maybe he is. He would have to. Is there a coach that's on a hotter seat than him? Um, somebody asked about D'Antoni in the. Uh, in one of the mailbag questions, I, w- I wish I could find who it was so I could give him credit. Um, and sorry. So, so maybe Dan, Tony, but I think they're, I, I they'll, I, to me, they'll play out the season with him. I don't know what'll happen with him in the summer. Yeah. The but, only ones uh, I can come up with is Boylan maybe, but they gave him a new contract as well. Yeah. Over the summer, uh, Nate McMillan, I think, is kind of off the table because of all the injuries that Indiana's dealing with with Miles Turner and Oladipo, of course. Yeah, they've been a team that's been worse than expected, but he's he's um, collected so much goodwill over his couple years there that I I would be surprised if they fired him. Some people might say Mike Malone, but one. I don't think Denver receives the must-be-contender treatment that they actually should, and the person they receive it from most is Mike Malone because he just came out and shit all over the team after their loss to the Pelicans, and I loved it. And so that almost negates to me him being on the hot seat right now. And they gave him an extension last year. That yeah, I don't think too he's much. going anywhere. Uh, so I would, I'm trying to think of someone other than Luke Wal- Walton, and I can't really come up with anybody. Walton is at the top of that heap. For sure, uh, for now. I guess maybe I guess we could put Vogel there just because Jason Kidd is behind him. I, I, like, oh, I yeah. Kittlefinger. <laughs> um, all right. We have a bunch more questions, but uh, we just we just don't have the time. So thanks to all of you who asked. We encourage you to continue to ask uh, in future mailbag episodes. Hopefully I'll be able to get to you there. Um, if you want to 
dispute any of our takes or come at us generally on Twitter, you can find Dan at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The podcast network is at Blue Wire Pods. As always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And as always, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Oudry and Kyle Anderson, a podcast staple that has now been memorialized in t-shirt form. Um, so if you go to Blue Wire Pods, I don't even know our uh, – Hope maybe I shouldn't admit this on the air. No, you um, really shouldn't. And now I'm questioning your commitment to said podcast and Hardwood Knox Blue now Wire accepting Pods. applications com. for a new co-host. Just throwing it out there. I always, uh, I always just Google it, but it is bluewirepods.com. Then you click on shop at the top of the screen and you will be taken to design tree. Uh, and look at it right there. It's on the top row. Look at that beautiful shout out t-shirt. This is a vis- This is my second visual reference in a podcast. Um, I'm clearly a professional at this, but you're going to have to do it yourself. Go to bluewirepods.com, click on shop, check out the shout out t-shirt. Um, it's pretty awesome. I think it's like really obscure. So if people don't know the show and they see it, it'll just be kind of like a funny conversation piece. Um, buy a shirt. Shout out Ben Audrey and Kyle Andrew. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.